This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Very quickly go to our foundational scriptures in 2 Kings chapter 20. We've been talking about dealing with death. And my, my uh, subject has been setting your house in order. Dealing with death, setting your house in order. And in 2 Kings chapter 20, starting with verse 1, it says, In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And a prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. And we, uh, we're not going to uh, recap all the uh, material, but we, we indicated that, you know, really the, 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 um, the, the term, the, the, um, the, the context of setting your house in order, you know, it's, it's given to all, you know, once to die and then to judgment. So we all know that the day of death is coming. But the prophet was, was telling Hezekiah the king that, you know, there, there's an urgency. There's an urgency. There's an immediacy. That, that you need to apply to the affairs of your house. And he said that uh, you, you need to set your house in order. And we know that when God tells us to set our house in order, it's because our house is not already in order. It's because there's, there's need for us to make corrections. There's need for us to make application in our home in order for it to align to God's will and to God's purpose. And so as, 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 a, as a ministry, as we prepare for what's next, as we get ready for what's next, we need to have an immediacy and an urgency about setting our house in order according to God's direction and God's plan. And so we, we, uh, we went over some, um, some of the, the past teachings where we covered um, the origins of death. And we said that death is, uh, that sin is the origin of death, specifically man's disobedience to God's instruction. We talked about that that death is the enemy of God. That death is actually unnatural. It's not God's intention, but it's an unnatural separation. It's a severance of something from which it belongs. That man is made up of spirit, soul, and body. That we are made up of spirit, soul, and body. And what we recognize as death is the the unnatural separation of the spirit and the soul from the body. We said that the body is going to return to the dust, but your, your spirit and your soul, they're going to endure. And that belief system, the confession that you made in your lifetime, that is going to stay with you throughout all eternity. We said that in, in, in looking at this, uh, this topic of death, that, that we're not actually trying to get you all to a, to a place of melancholy where you are preparing for the day that you die, but we actually are trying to remind you of the Word of God so that you can live the life that God intended for you to live. Because God, God is pro-life. He is the author of life. He is the God of the living, not the God of the dead. God is, is the God of the living. And so in, in this teaching, we want you to, to, to live the life that God intended for you to live so that in your last days there will be no regrets, that all things will be set in order. 
And so what we're going to get into is some of the financial considerations that you need to have as you set your house in order. And let's go to First Chronicles. First Chronicles 22. And this is the example of, of David as he is ensuring that his house is in proper order as the time of his transition is near. In First Chronicles chapter 22, starting at verse 5, it says, And David said, Solomon my son is young and tender, and the house that is to be built for the Lord must be exceeding magnificent, of fame and of glory throughout all countries. I will therefore now make preparation for it. So David prepared abundantly before his death. And I love in verse 6, it says, Then he called for Solomon his son and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. So David is, is demonstrating his love for God and, and, and God's purpose by making preparations before he dies for the work to continue after he's gone. And he, he, he brings in his son Solomon and he gives him specific instructions on, on how to make use of the provisions that were made. One of the things that we said last time is that, you know, instruction needs to come before the investment. That the instruction needs to come before the investment. What does that mean? It means that, it means that the behaviors that you expect your family to have, your children to have, your spouse to have, after you're gone, those things need to be modeled, they need to be taught, specifically stated, before you're gone. They need to be uh, demonstrated throughout your lifetime. Some of the particular behaviors that you need to, to instruct your family is, is, is how to live on an allowance. How to live within a budget. How to carve out a set amount of funds that is theirs to use. And then how to direct the funds of the household of where they should go. And how they can be most effective. We said it's going to be very challenging, if not impossible. When I say very challenging, it means impossible. It's going to be very challenging for you to make a financial plan for your family, for you to ensure that your family is provided for, if you have not trained them already on how to live with purpose. On how to live with purpose. You say, well, I thought you were talking about a budget. I thought you were talking about allowance. That's what I mean by living with purpose. Not living based on your emotions. Not living based on your bank balance. But living with purpose and direction. And so, one of the things that we need to do is that we need to align our plans with God's purpose. Go to Psalm 37. We need to align our plans with God's purpose. In Psalm 37, verse 5, it says, Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. It says, Commit thy way unto the Lord. We learned before that when it says to commit, that means that, that, that to commit means to bind. It means to, to constrain. It means that there may be a way that seems easier, or there may be a way that seems more appealing to my flesh. But, but my way is bound up, is bound up with the will of the Lord. Because I know that if my way is bound up with the will of the Lord, that then it will come to pass. 
it's not it's not based on circumstances. It's not based on the culture of this time. It's not based on community involvement. It's not based on the rest of my family getting on board with the plan. It's not based on my boss being on board with the plan. It's not based on markets and, 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 and economic cycles. That if we commit our ways to the Lord, then He is responsible for seeing, seeing to it that it is established. And our God is God. Our God is God. If he can't do it, then it can't be done. If he cannot accomplish it, then we are people without hope. But we know that our God, that he is Lord above all. That he is Lord above all. And so we said that in, in, in setting out your plans, that your plans, that they need to be written. That they need to be forward oriented. That as, you, as, you're, as you're writing out your plans and your 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 your, your your, your decisions for your, for your family, they need to be forward-looking. They also need to be documented. We said some of the things that you need to document are your, are your assets and your commitments. We said Some people call this a personal financial statement. You need to, to document the things that, that, that are all your stuff. And I know we use the term assets, and some people don't really know what that means. It means that you need to document all your stuff. Where, where's all your stuff at? And so some of the stuff that you got is actually stuff that's bringing more income into your house. That's what we're going to call an asset. If you have things that are bringing money into your house, if you have things that are increasing in value, those are things that we call assets. But some of the stuff that you got, some of the things that you have laying around, they actually take money out of your house. That's your, your, your boats, your motorcycles, your RVs, your cars. These things are taking money out of your house, and they actually are worth less than when you first bought them. Anyone that's bought a brand new car knows that as soon as you drive it off the showroom, it's already dropped 20% in value. So these are things that we call your liabilities. So you need to make sure that you've documented what are your assets, what are the things that bring money into your house, what are your liabilities, what are the things that take money out of your house. And you're going to have to make some decisions about those things. We said you have to um, entrust your spouse, entrust one of your children, your children, with where, where your passwords are, what your account lists are, so they can get into all of, your, all of your, your, your particulars. They can get into all of your things. And I know you're saying, well, you know, that, that's, that's things that I, I, I've kept close to the vest. They're things that only I know about. Well, you need to let your spouse know about those things as well. An easy way to, to, to accumulate this list is just run a credit report. It's going to list every single liability that you have, every single account that you have open. And then go through it with your spouse and say, this is what this is for. This is what this is for. This is, we need to settle this up. We're going to try and close this down. We're, this, this, we're using this as an ongoing line of credit to handle these particular expenses so that they understand it. You need to go over your accounts and you need to go over your, your, your assets so that they understand it. I know you understand it because you set up this, this cobweb and this rat's nest of finances. But you need to, to, to explain it so that they understand it. You need to have your contact information in place for your advisors. You need to have the contact information for your financial advisors. 
Who has your insurance policy? Who has your, who's your CPA that does your taxes? Who has the, uh, the, the information about your financial situation? You need to have the contact information for your legal advisors. Who, who, who keeps the will up to date? Who's, who, who's archived a copy of that document for you? If you have other legal instruments, who can your family reach out to to find copies and to, and to, and to seek advice on that? Your family also needs to know who are your spiritual advisors. When you have questions about the Word of God, when you're not quite sure about the direction that you should go, who can they reach out to? Who can they call on? And listen, these are people that they don't just need to be meeting the day after your funeral. These are people that your family should already be in communication with. They should already be in communication with these people because these are the key people in your life. There should not be any part of your life that you've hidden from the people that are closest to you. You shouldn't have any secret life, any, any, any side enterprises, any surprises that are going to come up to your family after you've gone. But they should already know these people. They should be comfortable with talking to them and asking them their questions. In Proverbs 11 and 14, it talks about that in the multitude of counselors, that there is safety. And so you're going to need a multitude of counselors to surround your family. You need, you need counselors for now while you're living, but your family's going to need those same counselors once you're gone. Why would you leave it to your family to find these people, to try and uncover these people, to try and seek out these kinds of resources? As, as a responsible believer, you should already make preparations so that these resources are available to your spouse and to your family. We said that some instruments that you're going to need to have in place is, is you're going to have to have in place you know, a will. And a will, that is a legally enforceable document that indicates your desired distribution of assets. And so when we said that, we, we emphasize that, that it's, it's a legally enforceable document. Your will has the, the, the force of, it has the power of your word. And so if your word has no power, guess what? Your will doesn't have any power. How can your word not have any power? If you've got a, a, a whole bunch of debts that are well in excess of your assets, if you have a bunch of judgments that you've been that are pending, lawsuits where you've cheated people, where you owe people, and you haven't settled those issues already, that 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 th those are things that that will make your word not as powerful as it should be, because those people will have a legal claim on your assets before your family has access to them, and so your word is legally enforceable. It has the power of your word even after, after you're dead. And it indicates the desired distribution of your assets. You know, you can't mandate and dictate who gets what and who's going to receive what. You can, you can say that, that you want an asset to go to a certain person, but that person has to be willing to receive it. You, have, you can say that you want a certain thing for a certain person, but they have to be willing to receive it. And that's why throughout your life, even now, you need to be communicating. You need to be communicating with your children, 
with your spouse, how these things will go after you've made your transition. Who, who's, who's, who's the backup? Who can handle these affairs? Your will that goes into force once you die. One of the things about, about the will is that it can be used to designate guardianship of your minor children. If you and your spouse happen to die, that your, or, or if, if your spouse happens to, to die a week after you die, a month after you die, there's a certain period of time that, that it's, it's, it's as though you both died at the same time, that you can use your will to designate guardianship for your children. Don't let the state decide who has guardianship of your children. Don't let your family have to argue amongst themselves and make plans amongst themselves of who's going to take care of your children. You know what you can also do in your will? You can also set aside provisions in your will for your children to be taken, for that guardian to have access to the funds that they need to take care of your children. Why would you designate someone as a guardian for your children and not give them the funds to be able to do that effectively? They're your children. Guardian just means that they're going to care for them. They're going to provide for their basic needs. But you should have already set aside the resources so that that guardian can be effective in their charge. We said that when you look at your, at your will and your assets in the state, that there, there's some, some people that have automatic first position. So your, your spouse has first position when it comes to your assets. Your, your natural born children have first position when it comes to your assets. Your adopted children, they have first position when it comes to your assets. And so guess what? Some of you guys have complicated structures in your families. Your children that don't live in the house with you, that may not even be in the same city as you, but when you die, they have a claim to your assets. So make sure that you included them in the instruction and in the planning for how they should continue once you're gone. If you have children in your household that for whatever reason they're not your natural born children, they're not your adopted children, but you've, you've loved on them and you have been a father to them, you've been a mother to them all these years. They don't have a legal claim to those assets, but you can include them in the will so that they have a stake. So that they can have a stake in what you leave behind. Your will, it can include advanced directives about what should happen in the event that you are not able to make medical decisions for yourself. Don't put that burden on your family to make the call on how far life-sustaining treatment should go or what you would consider to be a, 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 you know, a reasonable quality of life. Don't, don't have them pointing fingers at each other, blaming someone else for, for calling it and pulling the plug on dad and pulling the plug on mom. Already have that spelled out in your, in your will, and your documents. So your family knows, this is, what I, this is what I wanted, this is what I intended in the event that I was medically incapacitated. You can also, in your will, indicate your funeral 
and your burial preferences. If you've pre-planned but you haven't prepaid for those services, you can carve out the funds that are needed for those services to go forth in excellence without being a burden to your family. Your will has the, it has the force of your word. But if, if, if your word, if your word has no force, then your will is just words on paper. But if you are a person of integrity, if you are a person that has made preparations, then your word can be powerful. It can be comforting. It can give direction and it can give hope to those that you leave behind. There's another instrument that's called a trust. And a trust is it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's a legal entity all into itself where there's a fiduciary responsibility. There's a relationship that's set up. And I'm not going to use a whole bunch of complicated words. All it means is that with a trust, you can take the stuff that's yours now and you can put that in the trust or the care of a, of a financial advisor, of, 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 a, of, a, of a trustee. And that trustee is responsible for managing those assets on the behalf of your children or your spouse. What they call your beneficiaries. Your will only becomes active once you die, but your trust, it becomes active as soon as you transfer those assets into the trust. You can, you can designate that those assets transfer automatically once you die, or you can transfer those assets while you're still alive into the trust. You can only have one will. It's called your last will and testament. You can only have one will that's in force at any given point in time. But you can have any number of trusts, depending on what your asset situation looks like. When you have a will, the way that, that assets move from your name, once you're deceased, into the names of those that are your beneficiaries, your children, your spouse, your loved ones that you're leaving assets to, it's a process called the probate process. And that's a court procedure where the courts evaluate, they evaluate the claims that are being made against your estate. That means everybody that you owe money to, the court evaluates who has valid claims. And they also evaluate your election of your desired distribution of your assets. In probate, there's a personal representative. In some states, it's called an executor. And those are, those, are, those are the people that you have designated as being the responsible party to see to the administration of your will. That person will typically even file a last ta income tax return for you. you. You can make your spouse your personal representative. You can make your, 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 um, you can make your best friend. You can make your trusted financial advisor. Anyone can be any of those people. You can make one of your children your personal representative. And they would be the ones that are responsible for seeing that the directives that are written out in the will, that those are carried out. There are some items that, that you can transfer to your beneficiaries, and they don't even have to go through the court process. Your insurance policies, your bank accounts, your pensions, your retirement accounts. 
Any gift that you give before death, anything that's held in, 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 as, a, as a joint account, anything that's, that's held with, at, with a beneficiary that has been designated, those are all things that you don't even have to go through the probate process for, those, for your loved ones to be able to have access to those funds or to those assets after you passed. The items that you will have to probate, that there's just no getting around it, especially in states like Texas and states where, where there's, there's common law, there's specific property rights, would be your, your real assets that are not jointly owned. So if your house is in your name, it's not in your wife's name, it's not in your husband's name, it's in your name alone, the probate process is going to be needed in order for, for that, to be, that title to be transferred out of your name into the other person's name. Your cars. If your car is in your name, but it's not in your spouse's name, it's not in anyone else's name, the probate process is going to be needed to transfer that title from your name into the other person's name. Any, any real asset that is not jointly owned where you have sole title to that asset. The probate process is what's used to transfer that asset out of, out of your name into the name of the person that you want it to be transferred into. And there, there's, there's, there's so much more that we could say about trust in the financial instruments, but you know they, they're always changing. And so what I, what I advise you is, is to seek out the advice and the counsel of a... Of a, of a um, a probate attorney, also a tax accountant, and find out you know what are the what are the things that best fit your situation. So the first thing that we need to do is that we need to align our plans to God's purpose. This is getting our financial house in order. The next thing that we need to do is you need to settle your debts. You need to settle your debts. Go to Romans chapter thirteen. Romans chapter 13. Looking at verse 8, it says, Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. In this particular passage, the scripture is talking about showing honor to whom honor is due, rendering unto those who, 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 who uh, are, are due honor, who are due monies. And so you need to settle your debts. And so some debts are not actually written on your credit report. There's some things that, that, that you owe people that are agreements that you made a long time ago. That they're, they're just spoken agreements. There's some agreements that, that, there's some debts that you owe to your brothers and your sisters. There's some agreements that you, some debts that you owe to your family members. You need to settle your debts. You never, you don't want to leave this place with people feeling like you cheated them, like you took advantage of them, like you used a position of authority or a position of trust to benefit yourself at their expense. So settle your, settle your debts. Also settle your natural debts. Look at your credit report and see what are those things that I owe. We've been talking, you know, since the beginning of the year about, about getting our finances in order and getting out of debt and getting prepared for what God is doing next. 
You need to now begin to settle those debts. Get yourself unencumbered from those weights and from those burdens. You need to settle your debts. Also, you need to, you need to provide for your family. You need to provide for your family. Go to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy. Chapter 5. Starting with verse 8. And it says, But if any provide not for his own, and specifically for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Now, this scripture is talking about the provision and the care for widows. But notice that it says that, that anyone that is in your house, that if you haven't provided for them, that you're worse than an infidel. That you have denied the faith. And so you need to make provisions for your family. One way that you make provisions for your family is that you need to establish a spending plan. And what does that mean? That means that you need to take a look at, at, at what goes out of your house, what's coming into your house. And we talked before about your financial situation. And if you didn't hear anything else that we said about, about giving, about living, about saving and investing, know that we said that you need to simplify your finances. You need to simplify your finances. Some of you all, you're, you, you have just way, your, your, your financial life is just way too complicated. You got your fingers into way too many things. You need to simplify. Take this time to simplify your finances. Take a look at, at, at your personal financial statement and take the opportunity to wind down unprofitable and complicated arrangements. What does that mean? It means that you've got your money put in places that you know it's just like you may as well be, be in Vegas. It's just a roulette wheel. Look, I don't have any counsel for Bitcoin or Doge or, or any, any, any specific financial instrument. But you know that there's some things in your life that are unprofitable meaning they are not bringing money into your life. There are some things in your life that are just overly complicated. If, if you cannot expect someone that is half as clever and half as passionate about your investment to sustain that investment, you need to consider getting rid of that. Because that thing that you are so interested in, guess what, your children aren't that interested in that. That, that, that hobby that you've been pouring your life into, nights and weekends and, and putting your extra monies into, saying one day it's going to pay off, your, your spouse is not interested, as, as, as interested in that as you are. You need to get out of unprofitable and complicated arrangements. Simplify your finances. You need to have conversations now with your spouse and your children about the future and where they're headed. It should not be the case where after you've made a transition that now your family is moving all the way across the country 
where they are they're, they're selling out of everything and completely turning their financial picture around. And it was something that you all had not discussed before. It was something that, that had not been planned for already. And the reason why I say it is because, you know, quite often when, when transitions happen, people start making decisions before they should start making decisions. They start making choices before they should make choices. When they should be grieving, when they should be comforting one another, they're moving around assets. They're putting things up for sale. And then a year later, two years later, they look back and they say, well, well, what did we do? What, why did we do that? You can't, you can't unwind those things. You can't unwind those things. Listen, teaching your family to plan is just as important as having a plan. Teaching your family the process of this is what it means to plan. This is what it means to look a year out. This is what it means to look five years out. This is what it means. This is this is what we're trying to accomplish with this venture. Teaching your family to plan. It's just as important as having a plan. Why is that? Because now when, when the situations and the circumstances as they change, now your family has the tools, they have the value system in place to make a plan even after you've gone on. They know how to make a decision that's not based on emotions but that is tied to purpose that keeps them grounded in the will of God and doesn't pull them away from local ministry. In providing for your family, one of the things that you need to look at is you need to look at insurance. And there are various types of insurance policies. I'm not going to go into them. There, there's, there's whole life. There's term life. There's, there's, there's various gradients of those policies. If you ask Brother Eberhardt, as for me personally... My recommendation is that, is that everyone should have a 20 or 30 year term life policy. If you have children, you need to have a 20 or 30 year term life policy. He says, well, how much should I have in my policy? I love the way that, that, that the minister said it before. You need to be worth more dead than you are alive. Is that five times your current income? Is that ten times your current income? You know, a lot of times when these things need to be put in place are, are in, your, in your late 20s, your early 30s, when you're first starting your families. And your, your income is going to change dramatically over that time period. So just know that you need, to have, you need to be worth more dead than you are alive. And you need to be thinking about 20 to 30 years out. Now, why is that? Because the, your insurance policy is designed to help you to manage risk. It's designed to help you to manage the risk of the, of the worst possible thing happening. Your insurance policy is what you pay into every month, but you hope to never use. And it's a good investment. You pay into it every month, you hope to never use it. 
Now listen, your insurance policy, it does not eliminate risk. Your insurance policy does not eliminate risk. That's why you need to have a plan in place. Your insurance policy, it's not a substitute. It is not a substitute for income generating assets. Your insurance policy is not a substitute for income generating assets. Listen, if you're planning on your insurance policy being the windfall of cash that provides for your family for the rest of their lives, then guess what? You haven't been listening to the messages that we've been bringing forth over these last few weeks. Because you need to be doing things now with what the monies that you have now to take care of your family after you've transitioned. You cannot, how can you teach your family to manage a windfall of money if they can't manage the little bit that they have now? So no, your insurance policy is not some, some pot of gold that's going to sustain your family for the rest of their lives. Because if you believe that, what's going to happen is that they're going to get the insurance payment and they're going to go to Hawaii and they're going to go to Jamaica and they're going to pay off the house. They're probably going to buy some cars and in five years, they're going to be in the exact same place where they were before they got the payment. Because they would have not known how to use the monies to sustain them for the long term. So listen, your insurance policy is not a substitute for income generating assets. Here's something that's pretty controversial. At a certain age, you don't even need insurance anymore. At a certain age, you should already have enough money set aside that you don't need insurance anymore. Why is that? Because your insurance makes up for the monies that you would have earned while you were working. At a certain point in your life, you need to have already made provisions to say, this is the point when I am no longer working for money. I am no longer getting my money from a boss. Listen, if you don't, if you don't pick that time, time will pick the time for you. My father worked at a job from the age of 27 until six months before he died. And he had planned, and he had planned to say that, well, I've gotten so much set aside, I've gotten so much set aside, now is the time when I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to manage what I've already got. And I'm going to walk away from this thing. And it wasn't until he got cancer and he could no longer work that he stopped working. And then, then it was time for those plans that he'd made to come into effect. Listen, you need to decide for yourself when is the time when I will no longer depend on a boss to take care of my family and I would have set aside the funds already to take care of my family. You're going to have to retire yourself. 
Now listen, you can keep on working until you drop. That's no concern of mine. But you should be working because you want to, not because you have to. You should be working to, to fill the house with excellent items, with extra items, not to just barely scrape by from paycheck to paycheck. If you find yourself trading your time for money until time says you can no longer make the trade anymore because time limits you physically, mentally, then you haven't, you haven't made application of the teaching. You have not made the preparations. In your, in your preparing for your family and settling your debts and aligning your plans with the will of God, you also need to provide for your community. You also need to provide for your community. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 16, it says, From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So you need to make provision for your community. You need to have set aside something to leave behind as an endowment, as a gift. You know, David said, because I love the Lord so much, I am going to make preparation now so that the work of God can go on after I have gone. And it's not just going to limp along, but it's going to be magnificent. It's going to be great. And the fame will spread throughout the nations. You need to be thinking now. You need to be making plans now with your spouse and with your children. Saying, our family, we want to leave an endowment in this ministry. So that the work of ministry goes forward in excellence long after we're gone. They're going to see our names. They're going to see our plaques. Even if they don't even know, our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren will know that we sold our lives, that we sold our lives into this ministry. And God is bringing forth the increase. Listen, we talked before about Jacob and about how his name was changed to Israel in the, 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 the changes and the progress that he made in his life. And at the end of his days, we talked about Jacob's hope. About Jacob's hope. And what was Jacob's hope? Jacob's hope was that even though he was going into Egypt, that God was going to bring him out. More to the point, Jacob's hope is that if he would put his life in God's hands, 
if he would invest his life, if he would sow his life into the kingdom, that the Lord would reap the glory, that the Lord would reap the reward. We should have Jacob's hope that if we lay our lives down for the sake of Christ, that we will not be put to shame, that our children and our children's children will not go without but they will eat from the fruit of our sacrifices for generations to come. Amen, family? Listen, I hope that you all have um, you know, paid special attention. Don't get caught up in, in the financial instruments. Financial instruments, they change over time. Get wrapped up in the intention. Get wrapped up in the, in the objective of the instrument. That way you won't get tricked. And you won't get fooled with someone saying that if you just give me your money, I'm going to take care of your family. No, you need to be aware of every single thing that's been put in place. You need to have a hand in everything that's being put in place. Your family needs to be brought into everything that's being brought in place. Because it's not, your, it's not just your life. It's their life. It is the will of God that needs to go forth. Amen? This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.com.